Nice to be with you all. If we haven't met, uh, hello, uh, and uh, so glad you could join us. You do join us in uh, part three of a four-week series, as Kim uh, mentioned, called The Head and the Heart. And maybe just I want to take a step back and go what we are and aren't trying to do. So it's zooming in on how Scripture, how God helps us take a journey towards mental and emotional health. And not from the point of view of, although we'll speak to a counselor today, although we had a psychologist last week, we aren't really trying to be professionals in that regard where we're trying to encourage people to start medicine or stop medicine. We think those things need professional conversations and community and prayer and a journey. What we are trying to do is be pastoral, so not psychological, because that's the word they use. Um, just kidding. I said that in the first service. Everyone's like, I don't think that's actually the right word, but I'm just going to roll with it. We're trying to be pastoral. How, do we, how does God actually help our hearts and our minds? What does Scripture teach us? What does the good news tell us about this? And so in the first week, um, we had a cool opportunity to look at the fact that we're not the only travelers on this road. There are many other people in the same situation going, in a world like this, with the external factors thrown at us over the last 18 months in particular, uh, the internal turmoil that a lot of us are experiencing in our thinking and our feeling is a little bit all over the place. And so we're not the only travelers on this road, and it's also not a final destination. We, we can do something. We can take steps towards um, a mental and emotional health. Um, last week, Caitlin looked fantastically primarily at the mind and how the mind works and how we get to peace, not despite... Um, hard times and turmoil, but in the midst of that, we are promised peace because peace is a person, the person of Jesus. It was such an inspiring week. If you've missed either of those, you can listen to our podcast and catch up. But this week, I get to first talk for about 15 minutes and then do an interview uh, with Nicole, the head of our counseling across Olive Tree, on emotions, uh, feelings, the, the heart stuff and what we do with it. And I'm quite aware that as soon as you speak about a topic like emotions and feelings in church, we've probably got a little bit of a spectrum of people in the room in terms of your excitement level. Some of you went up, some of you went down. Um, your comfort level, how natural it is for you to talk about emotions and feelings. Um, and so, you know, we'll kind of leverage some um, psycho psychology tools, but mostly look at scripture. But so when we talk about emotions, some of you may have seen this wheel before where they're trying to describe different kinds of human emotions. And some psychologists think that there are up to 34,000 different named emotions that humans can experience. And on the one side of the spectrum, some of you will hear 34,000 emotions and go, yeah, yeah, Monday morning in our house. Um, that's uh, how many we experience as a family. And some of you will go, well, I'm, I feel like I'm a little bit more like those five or six in the middle, and there's two yellow ones, so we probably don't need both of those, right? Like emotions are a little bit limited. So someone said to me once that they only experience emotion when they watch Braveheart or their sports team loses, and otherwise emotion kind of doesn't exist. A little call back to 2007. It's been 14 years since Brian Habana broke our collective hearts, but here we are, still going strong. The entertainment industry with movies like In Inside Out, fantastic movie to try and instruct kids and adults about how our insides and emotions work, uh, and another fantastic psychology movie called The Anchorman, where sometimes you just feel like you're stuck in a glass cage of emotion. But wherever you kind of are on the spectrum, I was hoping that we could take a couple minutes just to try and self-identify, hey, this is how I think about emotions, feel about emotions, how, what's going on in my head. You don't have to tell anyone or put your hand up, although if you're with a family member and one of these comes up, you can maybe greet them with a holy elbow. You know that scripture says, greet them with a holy elbow in the ribs and go, yeah, that's, that's you. But let's try and self-identify that when we talk about emotions, how do you feel about it? So on the one hand, are you 
kind of an emotional flatliner. Like you feel like you're pretty much the same day in and day out and like that long road through the Karoo that never turns. You pretty much just cruise like that. Or do you feel like you're a little bit more of a, you know, valleys and mountains kind of person? Like how do you experience your emotions? Has anyone been elbowed yet? Don't put your hand up. How about, are you a steady flow of emotion person and feels like it's always kind of there and it's fairly predictable? Or do you maybe not experience it and then experience it at like 190%? I know that's not a mathematical term, but it's, a, you know, I mean, not, not, not possible mathematically, but we're talking emotions here. So I had an experience this week where uh, I had an interaction with someone and I would call myself like a kind of a flatliner and a not predict. And then suddenly this interaction happened and I felt myself feeling such anger in a moment that like my blood pressure went up and I went hot and I could feel my heart beating and then about half an hour later as I thought about it it kind of moved to sadness and then I processed with a couple of people that's very rare for me that doesn't really happen and I was kind of surprised by it kind of coming out of left field are your emotions fairly predictable are they kind of surprising um, how about this as we self-identify do you find it pretty easy to name your emotions I feel like this or my heart is here at the moment or do you find like there's just no language and you struggle to put it into words and maybe flipping that one around a bit how do you deal with it when other people are processing their emotions do you like lean in and try and engage and try and help them draw their emotions out or do you like are you allergic to it and you're like how quickly can I make them laugh and put on something to distract them like how do you engage with emotions are you empathetic with others, or are you a little bit more analytical? Do you want to feel what they feel, or do you want to understand what they, what's going on? Are you dismissive of emotion, or quite embracing of emotion? And last question for you, what do you think emotionally healthy looks like for a Christ follower? What, what do you think emotionally healthy looks like for you, and how would you take a step forward in that today? That's the real question we want to cover here today. What is emotional health? Uh, Pete Scazzaro, anyone read Pete Scazzaro? Emotional healthy leader, emotional healthy discipleship, emotional healthy church. You can see he really franchised that little bit of language, but an unbelievably healthy book. And he throws up some markers of what he believes a picture of emotional health looks like. Not all the markers, but some really helpful ones. He would say, when we're emotionally healthy as Christians, we're able to look beneath the surface, not just what's going on on the surface, but look beneath the surface and understand we would probably be able to be before we do, so we're not just functioning, but we actually feel like we've got an identity and self. We're able to embrace God's gift of limits, so we don't overwork or overfunction or try to be what we're not. We actually embrace God's gift of limits. We figure out how to discover the treasure that's buried in grief and loss. Tough but beautiful, right? We've made love the marker of true discipleship. We've broken the power of our past that doesn't hold us and have hooks in us, and we manage to lead or function out of weakness and vulnerability and not anything else. A cool picture. Hey, we'll, we'll leave that up for a bit. If you haven't ever read Pete Scazzaro, Emotional Healthy Leader and Emotional Healthy Other Things, please do take it up. It's really, really helpful. But I guess I want to kind of ask, if we've got a wide spectrum of people and we all think and feel about emotions and emotional health differently, how do we get from where we are today, wherever you are, taking a step towards that fantastic picture. So thought number one is simply this. Emotions are actually wonderfully healthy and normal in their right place. And it's something that as Christ followers, we should be getting a good theology on and not dismissing. And why I say this is because there was a trend, I think, and maybe it's still around in some faith circles or church circles where we go, well, no, the mind is a good thing. And so everything should be about our thought. And emotions should be switched off. And we kind of have made the mind king 
and uh, vilified emotions. Now, I think both can be very, very rich and wonderful things that, use, uh, that God uses to help us encounter Him, understand Him, love Him, worship Him, and then interact with the world around us, the way we think and the way we feel. And we're not trying to say everyone become a thinker first, like the mind is more important than the spirit. We're trying to say the spirit's the boss, and both the way we think and our emotions, the way we feel, need to be subject to the Spirit, and be led by the Spirit. So emotions are healthy and normal in their right place. The goal today and in the series is not to switch off your heart. They're also not meant to be the boss of you. Emotions aren't meant to boss you around and tell you what to do and make you make bad decisions and think silly things. So we're told in Scripture, renew your mind and guard your heart. We're told to receive the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ. So the first thing is really important is emotions are good in their place. How do we figure that out? And secondly, we see as we look at Christ that Jesus experienced a wide range of emotion. Did you know this? Here's a little list of them. He was greatly disturbed in his spirit. He wept at the individual gravesite of a person who he cared about and over a city that he was grieving about. He wept. He was angry with his disciples, his closest friends and followers, and he was furious at strangers in the temple that were using it for commercial gain. He was astonished. That's a version of being surprised. He longed to be with his disciples, his friends. He was distressed in moments. He showed compassion. It said he was moved in his guts. He, was com- he had deep compassion for the outsiders like widows, lepers, and the blind. He experienced joy, and he was overwhelmed in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's very relatable, some of that stuff, right? Now, that's helpful just to go, okay, cool, Jesus actually had access to healthy emotion. That's a wonderful thing in itself. But I want to have a quick little look at some of the things Jesus did with his emotion, right? Because we're we, we all aware that we have thoughts and feelings, but it's what we do with them that really helps us move towards emotional and mental health. And so here's a few examples of some of those things, what Jesus actually did. So in his grief, I don't know what you do when you're in grief, when you're mourning, but in his grief... What Jesus did immediately afterwards was he went and spoke out what he knew to be true. He, he reaffirmed to his own heart that the promises of God were true, that God was faithful, and that he could have confidence in God because grief often wants to tear you away from that, right? And so Jesus acts in the opposite spirit. When he's angry at his disciples, he's angry at his friends, he doesn't just let that anger spill to everyone, but he turns to a group of children and he embraces the children and then tells a beautiful parable. And then he is encountered by a bunch of strangers and he welcomes strangers. So even in his anger, he's going, it's possible to actually be embracing and to be welcoming. When he was enraged at the temple, the next thing he does after he's driven them out of the temple, he sits down with his group of closest friends and followers and then he prophesies about the promised ideal kingdom to come. So in the middle of being angry and disappointed at what it shouldn't be, he reminds himself again and prophesies, speaks out what God is going to do. It's beautiful. When he's distressed, it says he withdraws from the crowd pressure to be with his friend and engages with his friends. When there's healthy pressure from a crowd, there's this like momentum building because he started preaching and healing people. And there's this whole thing of, hey, everyone wants you, Jesus. This is amazing. He withdraws and isolates to go and pray to make sure that he's being led by his father and not swayed by positive energy and momentum. When he's stressed and anxious in the garden, he asks his friends to stay with him so he doesn't have to be by himself. Beautiful, eh? When he felt alone and let down because those friends went to sleep, he confronts them, but then he reinvites them. Please stay up with me because I'm deeply 
distressed. It's just, what a magnificent thing that Jesus is God and we get to see a picture of God, but what a magnificent human, hey? The way he, able to, he was able to process what was going on in him and treat others unbelievably well in the moment. Now, maybe you're sitting there with your notepad or your iPhone going, step one, uh, be like Jesus. And it's like, oh, thanks. <laughs> That's helpful. Be like the most perfect person that there ever was. Well, I think we can... I think it is possible to have the life of Christ. We have the mind and heart and spirit of Christ available to us as Christ followers. But there are other characters in the Bible that I think are so helpful in these moments where we are on a journey and we're trying to move towards emotional health, but we find ourselves so far away from that ideal picture of Christ. And so we hear from David, a psalmist that the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. And let's look at first the, the psalm that Kim read earlier, then another one. Um, and I want you to ask yourself the question, as you read these psalms, who is the psalmist primarily talking to as we read Psalm 103 and then Psalm 42? Praise the Lord, my soul, my innermost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, don't forget his benefits he forgives all our sins, he heals all our diseases, and he's redeemed our life from the pit. He crowns us with love and compassion, who satisfies our desires with good things, so that our youth is renewed like the eagle. Psalm 103, verse 1 to 5. Psalm 42, a different psalm writer, but again, who's the psalmist talking to? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. He's my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. From the land of the Jordan, the hearts of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep is crying out to deep in the roar of your waterfall. Your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. And we've got this month-long prayer journal through Psalms that we're on day about 20, 21 now. It's not too late to jump on and join. It's in our like, weekly emailer and on our social media feed. It's been such a rich time to get to read a Psalm every, together every day and process what's going on in our head and heart. But as we look at, well, what can we do? How do I take a step today towards better emotional health? Um, we kind of said already, well, wherever you are, let's lean into that as a journey. Let's actually go. It's a good thing. It's a positive thing. Let's lean in. And secondly, and I think this is really important if you're processing as a life group or group of friends or family, is let's focus more on our own emotional health journey than those around us. And, and why I say that is because God, number one, heals people and disciples people at a different speed in different ways. But secondly is when it comes to emotions and thought processes, we all think we are very normal and everyone else is a little bit weird. And so we would like them to be more like us, but what an emotional health journey does is it makes us all more like Christ in a really healthy way. So let's focus on our own emotional journeys. And then thirdly, and that's what these Psalms are saying, is let's become a people that are very good at coaching our own souls because we talk to them often. It's a little bit foreign, hey? We don't, like, we, you know, surely it's the first sign of madness to start talking about yourself. Apparently the second sign is if you start answering, then that's the real second sign of madness. But what the Psalmist is telling us here is we need to develop an internal dialogue that's really good at talking to our own hearts and minds because the psalmist coaches us to do this. And if you think about your dialogue, your things that you talk about, the weather and sport and work and family and December plans, we have rich dialogue and a high word count about everything else other than our own emotional and mental health journey, right? We just don't know how to talk about it. 
And then if you think about your internal monologue and you were to weigh up how your thoughts go, how many fights you have with that person that might not even ever happen, you have conversations, you, have, you weigh things up, you doubt yourself, you have such internal monologue that's talking about everything else. But when was the last time you went, hey heart, why are you feeling like that? Hey heart, why are you so downcast? Why have you forgotten the one who rescues you and heals you and the one who's re- redeemed your life? Praise him. He's coaching his heart and he's calling us to do the same thing. Praise the Lord, soul. Why are you so downcast? Put your heart, put your hope in the Lord, my soul. The reason for this, I think we've forgotten along the way that when we become Christians and we get the Holy Spirit, we have the best life coach of all time living right here, the Holy Spirit, the best counselor you could ever come across, the most encouraging being on earth, the best corrector and teacher and rebuker lives here. And when we start to ask questions of our hearts and actually speak to our soul, I think we allow ourselves to hear from the Holy Spirit and hear from the Word a whole lot more about what God wants to do in us. And so that step is start talking to ourselves, start coaching our own souls and, and watch as we take journey toward emotional health. So that's number one, so get used to talking to ourselves about this stuff. Step number two, and, and I'll call Nicole up in a second, is let's get used to talking to other Christians about this stuff. In our life groups, in our groups of three and four, with our mates around the bra, and in things like Christian counseling, Christian therapy, and Christian rehab, which often have such a weird, unhelpful legacy around them. I think it's one of your, one of your girls, Nicole, said, everyone should have therapy. Everyone should have counseling. It's such a good thing. Christ is the counselor. He gives us therapy. He's our healer. Um, and so we should lean into that as a fantastic principle. And so we should get used to talking to other Christians about this stuff. When it becomes normal in our dialogue, it's so much easier to spot things that aren't true, feelings and thoughts. And it's so much easier to be coached into things that are true. And so I wanted to take the, uh, uh, an opportunity this morning to um, chat to Nicole, who heads up counseling across Olive Tree. And just talk to her about normalizing some of the things she's seeing in the counseling at Olive Tree and what we can do as individuals and as a church to um, jump in. So why don't you give her a hand as she comes up. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. Um, why don't you, can you just start for those who most people probably wouldn't know you, they might know your face, but a little bit about your family and a little bit about how you got into the counseling at Olive Tree and before that. Hello, everyone. So, is it on? Yeah, yeah. I was just saying hello. Oh, hello. That was always my interest. I did a bit of social work, and over the years.
teach and what we've learned and what we've studied is all really helpful stuff and it gives people tools. But the add-on that the world doesn't have is what Jesus brings into the counseling situation and that kind of thing. So, yeah, my journey with the olive tree started about three years ago in the counseling space and I lead the ministry so I'm the admin person for the calls. We have lovely counselors on our team, and then I also volunteer counsel in that space as well. Yeah. Um, so as we were chatting about setting today up, I think obviously it's lovely to hear that you've been in the counseling space for a couple of decades and, and loving people. And guys, she does it unbelievably well and really walks out the stuff she's saying. I know you're irritated that I'm saying that, but uh, you really, really do. And I think it's important to say. But um, you were sharing some interesting trends of the things you're seeing people having to deal with in particularly the last couple of years of COVID and external pressures and looting and a whole lot of um, unsurety, but then also an interesting trend about who's coming to counseling. Can you just share that with everybody? So I think when we started in lockdown and with this whole weird last two years that we've all been in and through, we expected to be inundated with calls with people and it went absolutely quiet. So I think there were a few reasons. COVID, obviously, we were restricted, we could get arrested. Um, secondly, people didn't want to talk over the phone necessarily. You know, they prefer counseling with a person in real life. And then the biggest thing it seemed as it unfolded was that people were just doing day-to-day -day coping. So they were clinging on. And you just stick very much to yourself, to your immediate family, and if, for instance, like the picture that came to my mind, you're on a lifeboat, you only have energy to hold on. You don't have energy for your one arm to reach out. So that is what, what we noticed along the way. Yeah. I, I think there's something in that when we feel very isolated, when we feel very stressed, we do also we, we withdraw. Like we, at the time when we most need help and input. It actually finds, so I think that's a, it's a much wider trend that you've identified, but it does mm. seem to be that when we most need to actually have good counsel, we're least likely to talk to people about it. And I think yeah, that, that's stressful. Um, it's a stressful thought. So I love the idea that actually there's this wonderful team of people available to us. But when you have then seen people and counsel a lot of people through the last little while, what are some of the unique things that the, what the world has thrown, us, thrown at us is causing people to have to process? So I think what surprised us is that lots of people didn't like their families <laughs> during lockdown. Um, so now you're all stuck together and these are the people you've chosen for your life and you're actually not getting on with them. You know, and you feel guilty that you're not and you're wondering now how you're going to improve the situation. You're all sharing the home Wi-Fi. You all have your own stresses in your own worlds, whether it's Google Classroom that you're now learning where you used to go to school, whether it's whatever, your whole work environment has changed, you're now homeschooling and working. So there were lots of challenges and people realized they weren't good necessarily at doing relationships and doing close relationships in tough situations. And people also thought they're alone in this. They're the only ones feeling like this, but they're not. And, and that's what we want to encourage people to speak about. We're happy to talk at Briars about how COVID's affected us with regards to people we've lost or people that have been sick or whatever. We're happy to say we lost income, 
we lost jobs, but we're not happy to say how sad we are, how hopeless we are, how we are so tired of not being able to plan. And we want to say everyone is feeling the same. Let's be honest. Let's have honest conversations. Let's have deep, meaningful relationships. You know, and in this context, we have Jesus that we can share with one another. And he is hope. Where there is no hope, he is the person of hope. And if we all just encourage each other in that space and become real, we will make it easier for people that are struggling to say, hey, I'm also actually struggling. If we behave like we're perfect, we've got it all together, it makes people feel like they can't open up. So yeah, that's our encouragement, just not even in the counseling space, just wherever you are with people, just be real with them. Yeah. I thought, while well, we've got your family here, can we just ask how much you guys like? I'm just kidding. <laughs> just joking, just joking. Um, what I was so encouraged by and struck by is that, that freedom of being able to counsel biblically. Um, you guys have, a, as a team, you're very available and are hungry to have people who desperately need it and people who are leading others or think they might need it. The approach is just get hold of us and let's talk. Um, we'll share a bit more about that in a second. But tell us some of your approach to that gospel-centered biblical concept. I think it's wonderful to hear how you go about it. So the model that we follow is the wholeness counseling model, which was actually designed by a lady called Mads. She now has her own business called Edify. But the course is generally a six-week course, but it's not to say it only lasts six weeks. Some people come for two weeks, they prayed for, they helped to see the wood for the trees in their situation, and we pray for them, and they move on, and we always a support to them afterwards if they need support. Otherwise, there are other people that have had deeper traumas, hurts, more complicated situations, and they can be in the counseling process for eight weeks, 10 weeks. But it's a model that encompasses emotional health, mental health, but also the spiritual aspect of your life and bringing God's story into your story and how are you significant in him? What purpose has he put in your life? How are you different to another person because of the skills and talents that he's actually put in you? It's about identity in God and as I said to Matt, the one thing, my prayer is always for people to just see themselves more as he sees us. You know, because if we have identity in him, we will have hope and purpose, and yeah, that's the most important. We had so many people after the first service come and say, it's so nice to know that there's a person I can reach out to, or a team I can reach out to, but also that they're familiar, but not like too close. It's a lovely thing. Uh, for people sitting here who are going, maybe I should engage, who can come approach you guys, and how do they do that? So you can phone the church, you can email counseling at otc.org.za, whether you spell it with one L or two Ls, you'll still come through to us. And whatever your need is, whether it's just a chat, whether it's you need really serious counseling, whether you've lost your job, you have no money, come to us. We will send you off in the right direction. Yeah, anybody and everyone is welcome. Um, and then perhaps there's people sitting here going, that's a great relief. Maybe there's a bunch of people here going, I'm not sure I need that, but if we're trying to become the kind of people that are a great community and support network, what do you wish those around those who need a counselling 
would know? Uh, what can we be doing, praying? How do we act um, to support those um, in need? Yeah, so often people that come to counseling are just lonely. They have no one that listens to them. They have no one they feel actually cares. So as a church, I know I am often guilty of going to church on a Sunday, sitting in my same spot, saying hi to my same friends, um, and leaving. So us, we can be more inclusive of people. Um, not clicky, if you see a new face, say hi. Invite someone to a home group. Invite them to a bri at your house, whatever. Just be inclusive because people need friends and everyone that we counsel, we encourage to join a smaller group going forward because we all need community. We're not designed to be alone. You know, I heard recently we were born into the world attached to someone and that is God's design for us that when we are weak, we have someone we can say, I'm struggling with this and that person can pray for you when you can't or whatever. We can't do this alone. Yeah. Places the lonely in family. Hey, it's good yeah. I love what you said about going, prayer being so important, but going beyond prayer as well, the practical helps. Of it. Can you share a little bit more on that as well? So I think it's sometimes a cop out for us as Christians when people say they're struggling, we say, we'll pray for you. And if you are praying, that is really, it's wonderful. But people need jobs. They need money at times, they need a meal, they need a phone call, just encouragement. So be practical. Um, yeah, that's all I can say. Just don't only pray for people. Send the, ask them for their CV and in your little network of influence, help them. Send their CV on, mention them to someone. All of those kinds of things. God uses us on earth to bring about his will. And if we are lame and the workers are few, you know, he's got less people to use. And we all have an influence where other people don't necessarily. So use your influence to help move people on. Yeah. I know that in the counseling department there are so many amazing stories of people finding their identity in Christ, finding deep healing, and then beyond that, getting into communities that are actually living that stuff out. So I think we just want to say thank you so much to the team for serving us. Um, if you need counseling, please get hold of this team. They're absolutely amazing. We fully endorse them. And why don't you just give Nicole and the team a hand to say thank you so much. And thanks for sharing.